like you to do is I would like you to pull out your Bibles. Uh, everyone got their Bible? Put it up in the air. Woohoo. We do this every week. Uh, love throwing Bibles up in the air. Uh, who does not have a Bible? All right, I have a Bible bow in my briefcase, which I think is in the back underneath uh, the shirt that I wore earlier today. I promise you it's clean. Uh, underneath that shirt, inside the uh, pocket, should be my Bible. There should be another Bible in there. If there's not, I'm a heathen for lying in front of all of you. Uh, but Bo's got a Bible back there uh, for someone to borrow and use. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, uh, to Ephesians, okay? We started Ephesians last uh, week, but we didn't even get to the book of Ephesians. We looked at Paul's missionary journey to Ephesus as seen uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, how many of you guys learned something new last week as we studied uh, what Acts had to say about Paul and his journey to Ephesus? Did anyone learn something new? Okay, no one learned something new. Awesome. Okay, no, I, there we go. There, there, there's some hands. How many of you guys uh, already knew everything that I said? Okay, no, no one. So that would leave the alternative. How many of you got confused a little bit last week? All right, a few hands. And uh, how many of you think I spoke way too fast last week? Um, yes, I'm sorry. I normally don't speak that fast, but I had a lot to cover. Uh, and I promise you I'm not going to speak that fast this week. Um, so we're going to get a lot done. Uh, in a little bit less amount of words. Uh, so guys, Ephesians, I just want to talk a little bit about Ephesians. We saw Paul uh, going to Ephesus on his missionary journey, and he meets some guys who were disciples, okay? And he thought they were disciples of Jesus, so he talks to them about the Holy Spirit. You guys remember this, the Holy Spirit? Okay, and he's like, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? They said, man, we don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. And then after talking to him some more, he realizes, oh, these are disciples of John the Baptist. Tells them about Jesus. Then they all go watch ESPN Sports Center together. Uh, no, they hang out together, though, and, and they get baptized, and, and they become followers of Jesus. And we see that these people fall in love with Jesus. Okay. Now Paul, a few years later, is writing a letter back to the church that he established in Ephesus. You guys... You guys all tracking? Okay. We did learn also last week uh, that Ephesus, 30 years after Paul uh, started the church, 30 years later, the church had lost its first love. They had stopped loving Jesus and started loving rules. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, Jesus writes them a letter. And we see this in Revelations chapter 2. Am I making sense to everyone who was here last week? Or are we recapping well? Uh, so Ephesus uh, is, is going to be the center of our study for the next probably... Uh, at least the next six weeks, uh, probably more than that. I can probably say 10 uh, and 12 would be a, probably uh, a better understanding of how many weeks we're going to be in uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, so before we actually dive into the book, um, I want to ask you guys the question. Um, when you go out into like nature, um, or maybe you're not a nature person, but you love like the city and you love just like urban look, um, how many of you guys ever try and go to like to the highest point and just get the coolest viewpoint? Okay, uh, what are some cool viewpoints that people have seen uh, in the room? Top of Mount Hood. So you go up to the top of Mount Hood. First off, the mountain itself is cool, uh, but then just being able to see everything around it—that'd be awesome. I've never been to the top of Mount Hood. It's one of my dreams. Uh, Leah. Hollywood Hills. Ooh, Hollywood Hills. Ooh. Just describe it a little bit for us. Ooh. And then it overlooks, 
Oh man, that's beautiful. LA is probably that. That's a sweet view. Like, have you guys ever flown in the airplane, going over like LAX airport, and you just look out and you just see everyone in California has a swimming pool? Is that crazy? Like, okay, no, that's a cool view, Stephen. Rocky Butte. Describe what you can see from Rocky Butte. Oh man, it's a good spot up there, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, you can see everything. Look out to Troutdale, see the gorge as it goes up. Man, I love just epic viewpoints. How many of you guys have ever hiked to Larch Mountain before? Okay, if you've never done Larch Mountain, you know what I'm talking about. On a on, on a non-cloudy day, a clear day at the top of Larch Mountain, you can see all the way as far north as Mount Rainier. Okay, and you can see as far south. On a good day, you can see. Crater Lake. You can't actually see the lake, but you can see the mound that becomes Crater Lake. Okay, it is beautiful. You can look out and see past Bend. Uh, I mean, it is amazing. It's beautiful view. Beautiful view. Uh, I've never flown uh, to New York City before, but I've I, I watch YouTube, you know, and, and I've seen like this helicopter doing a pan around. Uh, you, uh, not YouTube looks good. Uh, New York City looks like it'd be a really cool city. Has anyone been to New York City before? Is it a cool city? It's all right. The skyline's pretty good. Nice. Yeah, the skyline's nice. When you get in, it, may, it might be a little bit different. Um, I, I, I asked this question to uh, one of the elders of our church. I was with him today. I said, what's your favorite viewpoint? And he said, have you ever driven Highway 101, like out by the beach, past Manzanita, right as you're coming up to Neocani Mountain, and just, uh, the, like, like, like the road takes its bend along the edge, and there's just this gigantic cliff, and then it's the Pacific Ocean, and it's just beautiful. Well, he told me, like, the backstory of this and how that was, like, an old Indian trail before they had the roads there, and it was, like, like the rite of passage. Like, the man would have to, like, climb along this just little trail that was on, on this cliff, and if he made it back to the village, uh, he was considered a man. But just the things that you see when you're up there, you see, like, the seagulls, you see the eagles, you see the falcons. You just see it all. It's just a beautiful area. Uh, and you can see the Pacific. Ocean. How many of you guys think we have the most beautiful ocean, right? Okay, the Caribbean's cool, but I'll tell you what, if you've gone to Hawaii, the Pacific Ocean is way cooler than the Caribbean. Um, so viewpoints are amazing. Uh, the reason I say all this uh, is because in uh, uh, Bible circles, uh, people like to call the book of Ephesians uh, the Grand Canyon epistle. Okay, how many of you guys have ever been to the Grand Canyon before? Uh, it's, it's amazing. Okay, it is beautiful. Um, and the reason why they say this uh, is because uh, Ephesians gives us a great view. And I'm going to tell you what it gives us a great view of in just a second. Um, but I've gone to somewhere a hundred times more beautiful than the Grand Canyon. Okay, I've gone to Death Valley. Have any of you ever been to Death Valley? If you've never been to Death Valley, it is the most beautiful spot on the planet Earth. It is crazy. It just so happens that this is a picture of Death Valley, I know the coloring is not very well, um, but it's just fitting that this is the background uh, for the book of Ephesians. This is a, a, a place, I actually took this picture, okay, um, from a place called Zabriskie Point. Everyone say Zabriskie Point. Zabriskie. Okay, um, and you're at about 700 feet or so above sea level taking this picture, okay. The flat area down there uh, is, is 60 something feet below sea level, okay, and those mountains in the back, in a five mile span, it climbs up to over 14,000 feet. I mean, this is the most beautiful place on the planet and you just get this amazing view because the valley itself is a hundred miles long uh, and you can see the entire thing I mean it is beautiful and it gives you a great viewpoint in the book of Ephesians this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus gives us uh, a great view the greatest view 
uh, of our salvation in our life as believers. Okay, uh, This book paints the pictures of what a life of a believer should look like. So if you're taking notes, I would really encourage you guys to take notes. How's it going, folks? Coming on in. Uh, I would really encourage you guys to take notes uh, because what we like to do when we go book by book, verse by verse, we really like to break down what the book is all about. Not so that we're like, okay, that's cool, but no, how can we apply this to our lives? Okay? Uh, I believe in a very practical application uh, of the Bible. Uh, and I think the Bible is just as important as it was 2,000 years ago uh, to us today. Okay, uh, It transcends time. It's never uh, out of date. It's never ancient. It's never irrelevant. It is always 100% relevant to our society, to our culture, and to our lives today. Uh, so I think it's important for us to take notes. Uh, and if you're not taking notes, you didn't bring a notebook, it's great because we record our messages. and They're going to be up online. And you'll be able to listen to them and take notes again. But I want to just kind of give you a breakdown of how this book is going to look, okay? And I've been studying a lot for the book of Ephesians, okay? And some people uh, in, 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 in preacher stuff, they like to break things down that's really catchy so you guys can understand it. Uh, one I heard was uh, uh, Ephesians is broken into two parts, and it's all the first part's all about uh, the Christian doctrine, and then the second part is all about the Christian's duty. Okay, so we got two D's. It's kind of cool. Um, another one was was uh, it's a book all about freedom. Okay, about freedom from sin, freedom to worship, uh, freedom to serve, uh, freedom to live for Christ. I thought that was really cool. It's all about freedom. Um, another guy who I heard talk about. The book of Ephesians uh, used the letter W for some reason, which is kind of cool. Uh, and, and, and he said the first part is all about the wealth, then it's all about the walk, then it's all about the warfare. I, I was like, all right, I think those are pretty cool. So as I was studying, I was like, all right, we're going to break it down into three parts. okay? And, and we're going to talk about the believer's life. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these things down uh, because this is what it's going to look like in the next probably 12 weeks as we go through uh, this epistle to the church uh, in Ephesus. The first part of the book talks about the richness of the believer. Okay, The richness of the believer. We're going to talk uh, primarily more about this next week. Um, but as we're going to see, as we read through um, this epistle, the phrase in him or in Christ or in himself appears 27 times. Okay, so, so the book of Ephesians is all about being in Christ, being in God. And as a result of being in God, uh, we are going to see the richness that comes with that. Okay, um, Because our position in Christ is... Uh, our position in him uh, is a package deal. How many of you guys love when you order something online and you get the box and it's got like five extra stuff in it because it was a package deal? Have you have anyone ever done that? Okay. I love package deals. Okay. I actually search out for package deals because you get more bang for the buck, you know? Okay. The, uh, the, the, the life of a believer, the richness of a believer being in Jesus is a package deal because not only do you get salvation, Okay, that, that saving grace from Christ. There's so much more that comes with having Christ in us, and that is blessing. Okay, um, it, it it is the um, just the the wealth. Okay, uh, the richness that we have in Christ uh, is is just blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And we're going to talk a lot about that next week. Um, so that's not really the sermon tonight. But I do want to let you know what the second part of the book is about. Uh, and I think if we were to take a Look at the second part of the book. If the first part is about the richness of the believer, the second part is going to be about, uh, uh, be about the reflections of the believer. Okay, 
First part, richness. Second part is going to be about the reflections of the believer because it's going to be how do we walk? How do we live? How do we operate as a believer? And if we're not reflecting Christ, the first part, the richness, Christ in us, if we're not reflecting Christ but proclaiming to be Christians, we are hypocrites. Okay, so we're going to look at what it means to reflect Christ. And, and, and this epistle uh, to the church in Ephesus is great about showing us how, as followers of Jesus, we reflect Christ with the way we, we, we live. Okay, so the first part is the richness of the believer. Okay, the second part is the reflection of the believer. And the third part is going to be the readiness of the believer. Okay, everyone say readiness. Okay, uh, that means being ready in season and out. I am able to do this now. Okay, uh, if you have ever been friends with a wrestler, okay, how many of you have ever been friends with a wrestler? Okay, how many of you are? Yeah, Steven's a wrestler. I'm scared of Steven, but that's okay. Uh, one thing I've learned about wrestlers, okay, they've put a lot of training in, okay, a lot of hard work. And I don't care how old the wrestler is, he can be a 60 year old wrestler who has never wrestled. Uh, in probably the last 40 years, okay? But I guarantee you, if you just kind of scuffle it up with them a little bit, they instantly know how to put you on the mat, okay? Because they're ready in season and out. They know how to do battle when it's time to do battle. So the last part of the book of Ephesians is going to teach us, as believers, as we are receiving the richness, the blessings from being followers of Christ, as we are living our lives reflecting Christ, as we reflect Christ, we're going to become a target. We're going to become an enemy uh, of the world. We're going to become a target. We're going to become an enemy of Satan. Okay? And so Ephesians teaches us how to be ready in season and out to defend our faith and to defend us as believers, ultimately defending the name of Christ and lifting his name higher than all the rest. Does that sound pretty good? This is going to be a really uh, a really good book for us. Uh, it is the blueprint uh, for a believer, uh, as we're going to be looking at the richness, uh, we're going to be looking at the reflections, and we're going to be looking at the readiness uh, that believers have uh, in Christ. Does that sound good? It's kind of a big intro. Uh, but, but but I'm setting you guys up for what we're going to be looking at. Um, so this really does give us a good view uh, of, of what the Christian life is all about. Um, when it comes to being a Christian, how many of you guys, by a show of hands, would say you have arrived? Have any of us arrived? Okay, good. Because if you raised your hand, I was going to come slap it. Okay? Uh, none of us have arrived. Okay? None of us have arrived. How many of you guys have ever seen... Um, uh, like a Rembrandt or, or, or a Picasso, a famous work of art, okay? An amazing, an amazing work of art, okay? Now, let's take Picasso because Picassos are really, really cool uh, and they're really, really like, whoa, that's so abstract. Now, with how abstract it was, if you were to catch Picasso's painting halfway through, you wouldn't really see anything. You'd be like, what is going on, okay? What is going on? Uh, but... At the end, it becomes a famous masterpiece, a work of art. Um, but if you catch it in the middle, it's a work in progress. Okay, It's a work in progress. It hasn't arrived yet. And for us as Christians, uh, I want us to realize, and, 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 and I think it's good for us always uh, to remember that we are a work in progress. None of us have arrived. We are a work in progress, and thank God we are a work in progress because I know there's a bunch of stuff in my life that I still need to work on personally, and I need God to help me work on those things, okay? And just looking out there, uh, there's a lot that God needs to work on you guys on as well, amen? So, so we are a work of progress. But here's the really cool part about this. Because 
Even though we're a work in progress, the work in progress is going to become a piece of art. Okay? And each and every single one of us are a piece of art in God's eyes. Because Pablo Picasso, when he's painting, he's not making it up as he goes. He already has the masterpiece in his mind. Okay? He already knows what the outcome is going to be. This is kind of starting to sound like God. God knows what the outcome is going to be. And we are going to be a masterpiece for him. And we're actually going to learn about that in chapter 2. If you guys look in chapter 2, you're going to see that we are Christ's workmanship. Okay, and, and, and we are going to be a masterpiece to point back to Jesus. And, and, and it's super cool. Just thinking about a work in progress, let's think about the people that Jesus had with him closest. Okay, The disciples, those who he chose uh, to pretty much live with him for three years of his ministry. Okay, um, Jesus knows the end from the beginning because he's God. Okay, So let's take Peter first off. Okay, Jesus knew when he chose Peter that Peter was going to deny him three times. Okay? Um, when Peter chose Judas, he knew that Judas was going to betray him. When Jesus chose Judas. Did I say Peter? Yeah. All right, when Jesus chose Judas, so we're biblical, uh, Jesus knew uh, that Judas was going to betray him. Okay? Let's say when Jesus chose Thomas, okay, he knew that Thomas was going to doubt him. But the thing is, Jesus chooses us because we are a work in progress. Let's think about the end of Peter's life. Peter ends up becoming a phenomenal leader of the church, preaches the name of Jesus unashamedly, 3,000 people come to know Jesus in just one sermon, okay? The guy kills it for Jesus, okay? He ends up being killed for Jesus, okay? We have books in the New Testament that are attributed to him. First and Second Peter are letters that he wrote to the church. The Gospel of Mark is really Peter's account of Jesus' life as he tells Mark, John Mark, who we learned about uh, in the book of Acts, as he tells, this is the story of Jesus. So Peter was a great guy for Jesus. Uh, Thomas, this guy who doubted, we know in history would tell us that he goes to India and he leads thousands of people to Jesus in India. And to this day, if you go to India, you can find the place where Thomas first gave his very first sermon in India. There's a mountain with a monument saying, this is where Jesus, through Thomas, reached the people of India. And it's the craziest story, okay? You see... Jesus, he knows we're a work in progress. And he sees the masterpiece before any of us do. Okay, so I want us to remember that as we're looking at what it means to be a believer, as we're looking at what it means to uh, live a life as a believer. We haven't arrived, okay? And we're going to learn as we continue to study through the book of Ephesians that God has riches for us, that we have the opportunity to reflect Jesus, and that we will be ready as believers to share Jesus everywhere we go. Okay? So that's the intro. Amen for intros? Woohoo! All right, we're going to read uh, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1 now. We finally got there. And, and I'm going to skip over verses 1 through 7 because we're going to talk about verses 1 through 7 uh, next week. These are those blessings that I talked about. Uh, the first blessing we're going to see uh, is, is that we were chosen. The next one is that we were adopted. That word adopted there means literally that we have become like the eldest son. We have been given the inheritance. We have been grafted into the family. Uh, the next blessing that we receive from uh, God is that we were accepted. Okay, so we were chosen, we're adopted, we're accepted. Uh, the fourth one is that we're redeemed. Okay, redeemed, as you're going to learn next week. Here's a little spoiler alert preview. Uh, redeemed is a legal term, okay, in the Roman Empire. Okay, during the time that this was written, um, the Roman Empire, half of the Roman Empire was slaves. Okay, and if you were rich and, and, and you were generous, you could go buy a slave's freedom 
And this is the term redeem. You are redeeming somebody and giving them freedom. Uh, Freedom, and that's what Jesus does uh, for us when He redeems us. Okay, and and then the last one of those blessings uh, is uh, we've been forgiven. Okay, we've been forgiven. So we need to remember these as we look at our lives because these are the blessings that we have. It's all part of the package deal. Salvation is the blanket, and we got being chosen, being adopted, being accepted, being redeemed, being forgiven, all in there. Okay, uh, forgiveness is final. Okay, it is atonement. You guys remember uh, as we were looking at. Uh, what it meant when we did the sacrifices, uh, the, the 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 Israelites while they were uh, in wandering, uh, as as they did these sacrifices, the atonement. Atonement literally means to make at one with God. It's all because of Jesus' blood that we've been made uh, at one with God. Okay. Wow. Intro done. Picking up uh, in verse eight. Okay. Everyone there in your Bible, Ephesians chapter one, verse eight. Let me know by saying holla. If you're not there, let me know by saying hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Okay. I'll wait five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. Ephesians 1, verse 8. And it says this. Which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he poured out in himself. Now, I want to just talk real quick. Um about this word mystery, okay? I'm going to talk probably about it a little more as we go. Um, But mystery here in the book of Ephesians, uh, every chapter is going to have something about mystery. When we think of mystery, most of us probably first think of Scooby-Doo, and then we start to think of some sort of secret, something that's like hidden from us, that like, oh, it's kind of like not good if we figure it out. It's like mysterious, okay? That's not the Greek mystery. That's not the Greek word for mystery here. This word mystery here means something that was once concealed but now is revealed so that we can have it to its fullness, okay? It was something that was once hidden and now is found because someone has made the way for it to be found, okay? So it's a good mystery, okay? Uh, Let's Lest we begin to think that God is this mysterious thing and, 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 he, and he doesn't want us to know anything about him. No, he's revealed those truths, and that's the mystery that we're going to be uh, talking about. Okay, um, Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, uh, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. See, in him is talked 27 times. Verse 11 starts with this. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Jesus should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Remember Paul's talking about those people who he first told about Jesus. Those disciples who he met while he was in Ephesus. That we learned about last week in Acts chapter 19. Uh, after you trusted the, uh, the word of uh, truth. Which is the gospel of your salvation. In whom also having believed you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Remember we talked about that last week. Of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of this purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray real quick. Dear God, we just thank you so much for tonight. Uh, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is perfect, that your word is true. 
Uh, God, and that your word is 100% applicable to our lives today. God, we just pray that as we look at what your word has to say, God, as we take these next few moments, God, just to dive into your scriptures, God, I pray that each and every single one of us would be inspired by the truth that is here in this word. God, that we would be inspired by what your word has to say. God, not only that we would be inspired, God, but we would be encouraged. God, as we look at the richness that we have as believers in Christ, God, the richness, this package deal, God, may we be encouraged. And God, may we be challenged. God, may your word challenge us to live our lives more for you and more like you. God, you are so great. God, and we just thank you for your word. God, we just pray that tonight none of these would be my words, uh, but God, that you would speak through, God, in your perfect word would come out, God. Anything that would be of me, may it fall on deaf ears, or may I not even be able to get it out of my mouth. But God, may your perfect word come through. And God, so we just pray all these things in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So as we take a look uh, at the book of Ephesians, okay, there's a lot of stuff. How many of you guys are already just like swimming? You're like, I, Ephesians, this is crazy. I'm going to go have to like read it like 10 times this week. Anyone there? Okay, maybe five times this week. All right, there we go. Guys, there's a lot of stuff in this book, okay? And we're going to try and break some things down tonight. Because we read some verses, for any of you who are churchy, or you know church lingo, or you understand a little bit of theology, we read some things uh, that ask some very big questions, okay? And so we're going to try and answer some questions tonight. Uh, but we're not going to answer them uh, probably in the way uh, that we would want them to be answered. Um, and, and, and so I'm going to just talk a little bit more about that as we get there. But when we look at the richness of a believer, okay, we first must understand that we're talking about a believer, someone who has put their faith in Christ, which means they have received salvation through Christ, okay? So, the book of Ephesians is going to paint a very good picture for us, okay? Because we see the Trinity, how many of you guys know what the Trinity is? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? The Trinity, God, three in one, okay? One God, three persons, okay, uh, is very active in our salvation, okay? We'll see in verse 11 and in verse 4 that the Father has chosen us, okay? That the Father chose each and every single one of us. We see that the Son, which is Jesus, bought us. He bought us back. It's that redemption, the redeeming uh, power that Jesus has, and we see that in verse 7. Uh, and then we see that the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit seals us, okay? We are sealed once we have uh, accepted Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes, takes up residence, and has sealed us for eternity, okay? And, and, and it is the Holy Spirit uh, who then uh, had been drawing us, then fills us, and then, as we learned last week, comes upon us, okay, in that baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is for all believers, okay? Uh, and, and, and so the Holy Spirit is very active in salvation uh, as well. So as we look at verses 12 uh, and 14 as well, verses 12 through 14 says this, that we who first trusted in Christ should be uh, to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So guys, we are talking about salvation. And as we look at the Trinity, uh, we see that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all being at work in our salvation. Um, in the Father's mind, we see that we were saved before time even began. Okay, God predestined, God chooses each and every single one of us before time began. 
Okay? We also see that in the Son's mind and in the Son's perspective, we were saved okay, when Jesus died upon the cross, when his blood covered our sins. So from the Father's perspective, we were saved before time. From the Son's perspective, we were saved that moment on the cross. And in the Holy Spirit's mind, we are saved when we choose to respond Okay, to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about last week how the Holy Spirit is there spurring us on okay, to salvation. And it comes down to, from the Holy Spirit's perspective, we are saved when we choose to respond uh, to that conviction that is in our life. So all three of these, uh, this is a little bit of a mystery. okay? Because all three of these perspectives, all three of these mindsets are right. You might be asking yourself the question, huh, how does that work? Anyone like, okay, how, how does this work? Okay. Okay, overwhelmed. We are going to do our best to really answer this question of, huh, and how does this work? Uh, so hopefully we're going to have the answers, okay? Uh, now I want to let you know, uh, just before we go any further, that this is um, a debate, this is a conversation that's been going on for over a thousand years, okay? So we're probably not going to like... Nail it down and be like, all right, Ecclesia on uh, February 4th, 2014 solves uh, the issue of how one gets saved. Amen. Uh, and, and, and so we're probably not going to do that, okay? Uh, but we're going to give you guys some answers. We're going to give you some insight. And we're going to look at what Scripture has to say on this. Because I think before we dive any further into Ephesians, Ephesians is going to use some words that we have learned in church that are kind of like, ooh, okay, I totally agree with that. Or, ooh, no, I don't agree with that one bit. Okay, so we're going to do our best uh, to answer uh, some of these important questions. And here's the reality, guys, and, I, and I'm just going to be blunt. Uh, in the end, uh, if we have more questions, we're just going to have to lo- learn to live with it, okay? Because uh, c- we're not going to get all the answers here in this life, okay? We just got to learn to live with it, uh, and so we're going to talk about that uh, in a little bit. The first part I want us to focus on uh, is verses 4, verses 5, and verses 11. Okay? In these verses, we see that God chose us and that God predestined us. Okay? Predestined. So this is going to raise the first question, um, which, which I think is a question that probably all of us would ask when we hear uh, God chose us. The first question that comes into my mind is, why did God choose me? Why did God choose you? Why did God choose any of us? What good was it that God saw in me that he would choose me? What merit do I have to be chosen by God? What merit do you have to be chosen by God? And um, once again, I'm going to be blunt. Uh, There's nothing. Okay? You have no merit. Okay? You have no good that you have done. Okay? God did not choose you because you're the cool kid on the block. God did not choose you because you're a smart person, okay? It is, there's nothing that we did for God to choose us. It is all because of God's character, okay? Verses 5, verses 7, and verses 9 of Ephesians chapter 1 tell us that it is because of His good pleasure. It is because of His grace. It is because of His good will that we are chosen. It's nothing that we do, but it's because God's character is such that He is good that he is gracious, and his will is that all come to him. Does that make sense? Okay. It's not anything that we do. It's all because of God. God chooses us salvationally. Everyone say salvationally. God chooses us in salvation the same way he chose the children of Israel theocratically. Everyone's like, what does theocratic mean? 
Okay, uh, it's a theocracy. It means God is in charge of everything. Okay, it's it, it's the same way God chooses us. In this process of salvation, the same way he chose Israel. Not because Israel was good. Not because Israel was the strongest nation. Not because Israel was the coolest kid on the block. Okay, But if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, we see that God says, Hey, I didn't choose you because you're a great nation. I actually chose you because you're this little nation and I just love you. Okay, It's not because you're mighty. It's not because you're weak. It's just because I love you and I promised to your fathers that I would make you a great nation. Not because you're great, but just because I love you. You guys see, it's God's nature and it's God's uh, character and it's God's love. Uh, and so we might ask ourselves the question, uh, I don't get that. I honestly do not get uh, why God chooses us, how God chooses us. Uh, and really, there. There's no answer except it's his love. Uh, so don't fight it, okay? Don't be like, I don't think God really chose me. No, don't fight it, okay? Enjoy the fact that God chooses you, okay? Enjoy the fact. Rejoice in the fact that you were chosen by God, okay? Uh, verses 9 and 11 talk about predestination. And, and this brings up um, a problem in Christianity. This brings up a problem in theology that we're going to try uh, and tackle a little bit tonight. Uh, but the question is, how did God save us? Okay, we see in verses uh, 4, 5, 11, uh, and then 9 and 10 as well, that we were chosen, that God predestined us. Okay, uh, so, so yeah, God chose us. But then you might ask yourself the question, well, didn't I choose to follow Jesus? I didn't have to choose to follow Jesus, but didn't I make a decision at some point in my life, I want to be a Jesus follower? You, you might have prayed a prayer, Dear Jesus, I accept you into my heart, okay? I accept you, okay? Uh, how many of you guys would say, yeah, I chose Jesus, okay? And the answer is, yes, you did, okay? Yes, you did. And so uh, you might be thinking, okay, this sounds like we have a little bit of a conflict here. Uh, God chose me, yeah. I chose God, yeah, and uh, and so this brings up a little bit of a conflict. Um, we see in verses 4 and 11 that that is God's choice, but we see in verses 12 and 14, and the same portion of Scripture, that it's our choice, that we choose. It says, we trusted, we accepted, we chose, okay? And so this kind of brings up uh, this, this little paradox of what's right, who's right. Uh, these seem to be... Uh, contradictory one to another. Do you guys agree that that kind of sounds a little bit contradicting? Okay? And like I said, this is a contradiction that's been talked about for years. Okay? And I don't know that we're going to solve it tonight, but I think we're going to do a good job at getting to a conclusion. Okay? Um, some would teach, okay? Some would teach uh, a, a doctrine called irresistible grace. Has, everyone, has anyone heard the term irresistible grace before? Okay? Maybe some of us who, who, who go to a private uh, college or, 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 or you've studied theology before, uh, irresistible grace is a very Calvinistic term. Okay? Has anyone ever heard the term Calvinistic before? Okay, some of you. Okay? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about what Calvinistic means. But this is a Calvinistic view that literally says you cannot do anything about your salvation. You cannot do anything in salvation. Okay, John. Uh, just a little bit, okay. 
but but we, we can't do anything about salvation due to our depravity, okay? We are completely depraved, and we lack any spiritual choice-making, okay? So God uh, draws us unto him, okay? That is what the doctrine of irresistible grace is. It's a Calvinistic doctrine uh, that, that teaches that we can't do anything, okay? So that being said, to someone who uh, was predestined and preselected, who is living in utter sin uh, and and is a complete heathen, okay, uh, we could with all assurance say to them, uh, it's all right, the way you're living, eventually God has pre-chosen you, uh, you're going to end up in heaven, so just go on doing and, and the Spirit's going to draw you into him, okay? And the same thing goes to the person uh, who was um, pre not selected for heaven, but pre-selected for hell, pre-selected for eternal damnation, we can say, well, regardless if you even want to follow Jesus, um, you're not going to be able to. Sorry. Okay? That is what the doctrine of uh, irresistible grace has to say. Uh, as a whole, uh, this this is a very large group in Christianity. Okay, uh, it, It's a large camp, and, and, and for uh, a good majority of this camp, uh, they do not like... Um, evangelists, okay, people who like go about like setting up like these huge like camp meetings. You might have heard of a guy by the name of Billy Graham. Anyone heard of Billy Graham before? Okay, a lot of people who subscribe to the doctrine of irresistible grace, um, to this Calvinist doctrine, do not like Billy Graham uh, because they say he provides uh, false hope uh, to people uh, pre-preaching that, well, now that you have chose Jesus, you are saved and you will have an eternity in heaven, okay? Uh, so they'll go out and they'll like picket it with like signs saying, no, you're sending people to hell, okay? Uh, and that's crazy. Um, I, I do not agree with that 100%. That um, way of doing things, okay? Uh, I still love those people, uh, but I totally disagree with the way um, they're approaching like Billy Graham and evangelism and stuff. Um, another uh, doctrine uh, that these folks uh, preach is something called uh, limited atonement. Anyone know what limited atonement means? Uh, limited, which means some, uh, and atonement is that at one with, okay, Christ's blood uh, covering sins. Uh, they teach uh, that with this limited atonement, Christ uh, died only for those who are uh, predestined to be Christians. He only died uh, for those uh, who are elect. Uh, that mean, uh, I mean, that being said, uh, Christ didn't die for the sins of the whole world. He just died for the sins of those uh, who are going to be going to heaven. Uh, why waste his blood on people who are never going to accept him? Okay, that's what this teaches. Um, and, the, and the thing is, uh, I, I love my uh, Calvinist brothers, okay? We might even have uh, some Calvinist brothers in the room. Uh, I love y'all, okay? Um, but I have a problem with these two doctrines, okay? The other doctrines are good, uh, but I have a problem with these ones, uh, first and foremost, because of John 3.16, okay? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever calls upon his name will be saved, okay? That, that's us, the who calling, okay? Um, also, 1 John 2, uh, verse 2, uh, I, want, I just want you guys to turn to your Bibles, uh, because this is a, a very important scripture, and I'm not trying to, uh, to argue, uh, I'm the last one to want to argue these things, uh, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, but I think these are important verses for us to understand, because this is going to come up in conversations with people, okay? And this is what 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, he says, and he himself is the propitiation okay, which means he is the full payment for our sins, and not only for ours, okay, those who are believers, but also for those of the whole world, 
Okay? Guys, Christ died for everybody. His blood, his atonement is for everybody. That's what the Bible preaches. Okay? The Bible preaches that Christ died for everybody. Okay? And, and, and that his blood and his propitiation for our sins is available to everybody. Does that mean everybody's going to choose it? No. We're going to continue on after this. As you guys can probably see, we're already starting to see some tension here in this portion of Scripture. Okay, We've got this whole group. We just talked about uh, a, a debate that's been going on for years. Okay, And so we see some tensions. Even between verses 10, flip back over with me if you will to Ephesians chapter 1, between verses 10 and 11 and verses uh, 13 and 14, we see tension here in these verses. Okay, Verses 10 and 11 talk about how God chose us, and verses 13 and 14 talk about how we chose God. Okay, there is tension here, okay? And and we need to notice the tension. And uh, some people are like, I just don't care about that. I really don't care. No, we should care about it. We shouldn't let it, like, turn us into, like, people who just want to argue and punch each other in the face. That's never what it's about, okay? But we should notice it, and we should care about it because it's important. We're going to talk about that importance. We're going to talk about that tension uh, in just a minute. Uh, so God chose us, but verses 12 and 13 tell us uh, that we chose God, okay? The Bible has many, many verses about our choice as followers of Christ, okay? What was the message that John the Baptist and Jesus first preached? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And then Jesus said, for the kingdom of God is here. Okay? Repent. Can God repent for us? No. No. We do the repenting. Our choice. What were Jesus' last things that he said while he was on earth? He tells us that, hey, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says, whosoever would call upon my name shall be saved. Whoever calls shall be saved. So we see that Jesus is giving us this uh, this appeal uh, to come and to choose. He's telling us, hey, come and choose. Come and choose. But then we also see in Scripture that there's many verses about how God draws us to Him and how God chooses us. Okay, Jesus, in the Gospel of John, says, you did not choose me, but I chose you before the foundations of time. Okay, John chapter six says, "No one comes to the Father, un- uh, no, no one comes unto me unless the Father first has called them." Okay, so we see here, ah, I choose, ah, God choose, and it seems to be an unreconcilable problem, right? I mean, we, we we cannot reconcile what it is. What is the answer to this problem? And and we seem to have a legitimate unreconcilable problem. Okay. And I will tell you, from our perspective, from man's perspective, we absolutely have a problem. We have a problem, from our perspective. Um, we have what we call, um, you guys ready for the word of the day? Okay? We have an anatomy. Okay? An anatomy. Okay? I'll spell it for you. A-N-T-I-N-O-M-Y. Okay? Okay. This literally means two solutions that contradict one another. Okay, so the first part of this would be I chose, okay, I decided I was going to follow Jesus when I was four years old. All the way back in the day, I chose I'm going to follow Jesus. But then on the other side is before the earth was even created, God chose me to be a follower of Christ. Okay, you guys see the conflict, you guys see the difference, you guys see the contradiction here? How many of you guys are like, I am so confused, I don't know what to believe right now? 
That's okay. Okay. We're, we're, we're going to talk about that, and it's, uh, it's good. Uh, we have um, uh, this happen all the time, okay? Uh, uh, these anatomies, okay? We have them happen all the time around us. In theology, we like to say, oh, man, this is a problem. you got to choose one or the other. They just cannot coexist together, okay? Uh, so when you go to theology schools or Bible schools, you have all the people chilling on this side of the room, probably wearing their cardigans, living the dream with, like, some cool glasses on. They're the Calvinists. They're just kicking it over here like, yes, we are very scholarly. We're the Calvinists, okay? And uh, we're right. You're wrong. Then you have on the complete other side, you got these guys called the Arminians. I haven't said that yet, but the Arminians, they're kicking it over here. Probably got like rips in their jeans trying to be all cool because they want to like appeal to people, you know. And they're like, they're like, yeah, you know what? We're right. We're hip. We're cool. Everyone come kick it with us. Those people over there are like, no, you have to be chosen to hang out with us. Well, no, anyone can come hang out with us. And they separate themselves from each other. That's never the way it was supposed to be, okay? And we have these Anatomies happen all the time. We see them all the time in other places besides theology, and we're okay with it. We're okay with it. People don't like the conflict here in the theology, but we're okay with it when it comes to physics. We're okay with it when it comes to physics. How many of you guys can see right now? Can everyone see? Okay. What causes you uh, to be able to see? Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, it has to do with your eyes, but it has to do with the way your eyes receive. Light. Wait, say that a little bit louder. Light. light. Okay. It has to do with light. Okay. Do you guys know what light is? Okay. What is it? It's photons. Okay. Is it? Because science will tell us. This is good. You just walk right into this. I set you up for this. This is awesome. Okay. We can prove in science. Listen up, guys. We can prove scientifically that light travels in waves. Waves of light. We can prove that scientifically. They are rays of light that move in a wave-like pattern. All radiation does. Light is just a kind of radiation. Okay? Light moves in waves. So does sound, by the way. There we go. So light moves in waves. And we can all agree on this. Every scientist in the world would probably agree on this, except you got like those like weird scientists off in the corner who believe light doesn't even exist, but those are just weirdos. Okay, Okay. so light moves in waves. But we can also prove scientifically that life, I mean that light, are just particles. They're free-floating protons. Okay? They are just Floating around particles, okay? And light is just this particle cloud that allows us to see and illuminates things. We can prove it scientifically. And both of them are 100% right. Light is a photon, proton, particle cloud. Wonton noodles. No, it's, it's these particles that produce light. We can prove it scientifically. But we can also prove that it's wavelengths. Okay, and I heard someone say light is witchcraft. I don't know about that. Uh, but we see this, and we're okay with it. We live with it. It is totally okay for us to agree, hey, light is, is there, okay? The same should be true when it comes to the, like all this theology, okay? Salvation is here. we got to be able to live with it, okay? Now, we're not going to solve any of this tonight. I know we're not. 
Uh, it's an old argument, and I talked about Arminians and Calvinists. Okay, uh, Calvinists are the followers of the teaching of John Calvin, who is one of the most phenomenal theologians who has ever lived. Okay, and Arminians are the followers of a guy by the name of Jacob Arminius. Okay, uh, another phenomenal theologian. Okay, they just taught a little bit different things. Okay, and if we were to truly talk about this. Um, I think it comes down to one of them is man's perspective of how salvation works, uh, and the other one uh, is, is, is an attempt to try and define uh, God's view of how salvation works. Uh, man's view would be, well, not everyone goes to heaven, so um, God probably chose people. Okay? That's man's attempt at trying to say, all right, God, I think this is how it works. And then Arminians, they say, well, you know what? God gave it to everyone, so God just foreknew. Okay? Predestination, foreknowledge. God just foreknew who was going to end up choosing him. Okay, so it's man's attempt to say, "All right, God, I think this is how you do it." Okay, you guys see that no one knows for sure how it goes down, um, and so we shouldn't lose sleep over this. Okay, I don't lose sleep over it. Uh, I don't roll over in bed like, "Oh God, did you choose me? Oh, or did I choose you? I don't know, God. Did you choose me? Or did I, cho-? I don't lose sleep over it because I know this to be fact." Okay, I have spirit living inside me. Okay, Amen. Jesus has taken up residence. I have given my heart to the Lord. And I can tell you this as sure as I can say there's light in this room. God is real and I'm going to spend an eternity with him because I'm a follower of Jesus. I can say that with unwavering faith. Did I choose God? Yeah, I think I chose God. When I chose God, I realized, whoa, God, you chose me? Cool. We both play a process in it. Okay? So this is the thing that that, that I've always hung my hat on. And, and, and you can never lose sleep over this. Choose God and find out God chose you. Amen. Choose God find out he chose you. Okay, he's drawing you to him. Okay. You respond. You respond. And I would say for anyone in the room who you're just like, I don't understand any of this means. If you take one thing home from tonight, just fall in love with Jesus. Because when you fall in love with Jesus, hey, you're going to spend an eternity with him, and he'll be able to ask him any questions you want. But I guarantee you this, when you get to heaven, it's not going to matter how you got there, except that you put your faith in Jesus. It's not going to matter, did, was John Calvin right, or was Jacobus Arminius right? Which one was right, Jesus? Jesus is probably going to say, Okay, this is extra biblical. This is just me talking here, okay? So don't take this to the bank. But I bet you Jesus is going to say, yeah, you guys wasted a lot of time arguing with one another because you're both wrong. And there's only me, and you tried to put all these rules on both sides. You guys wasted time arguing. Because the gospel doesn't say, go into all the world and argue with disciples about what theology is correct. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That means you're telling people about Jesus, not reading a book on how Jesus saved you. It's about telling people about Jesus. And so, maybe you're someone who believes that God predestined people to come. Okay? Well, when you go and you tell someone about Jesus and they say, hey, I want Jesus. Hey, you just found out that that person was predestined. That's awesome. And if you're someone who believes it's man's choice, when someone says, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus, you're like, praise God you're going to follow Jesus. That's awesome. Because in the end, Jesus says, no man comes to the Father but through me. you got to choose Jesus. 
And then you realize, hey, God shows you. It's crazy how it works. It's a mystery. I don't get it. But I don't lose sleep over it. We talked a little about tension. Okay? And so we need debates like this internally in our own minds that cause tension. Okay? Let's, how many of you guys have ever been to San Francisco before? Okay? How many of you guys have ever been, um, uh, what's another good example of a suspension bridge? They're putting a new bridge in downtown. How many of you guys have seen the bridge that they're building that's crossing over? It's for the max. Okay? It's a suspension bridge. Okay? Uh, a suspension bridge is one that has two freestanding sections with a road that goes and with beams connecting to the middle. Okay? These wires connecting to the middle that are causing tension that's holding things up. Okay? I'm not an engineer. John's an engineer, but he left early so he could tell us more about the bridges. Okay? But it's a suspension bridge. It's causing tension to hold it up. And without the tension there on those wires, the bridge would fall apart. Okay? So if we didn't have this internal tension in our brain, all right, God, which is right, what is right, what is right, we would fall apart as Christians. Because this tension causes us to search out the scriptures to see, okay, what is truth? What does your word have to say? And we might be searching with those motives, but I can guarantee you this because I believe God is active today and the Holy Spirit is active today. We search scripture trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong. God's going to say, it doesn't matter. I'm right always. Amen. And scripture is going to speak to us. Okay? And scripture is going to become real. And we're going to learn things that we had no clue were even in there, all because we wanted to win an argument. But God's going to say, arguments don't matter. People matter. And let's go love people. Amen. That's why this tension is so important that we have. Because it teaches us to dig deeper into God's scripture. And as we continue to dig deeper into God's scripture, we're going to see the riches that he has for us as believers the first part of this book is all about the richness of being a believer. There is wealth in this book. There are gems in this book. This book is full of truth that applies to each and every single one of our lives today. And it's just waiting there right on our fingertips. If you were starving, if you were starving, you hadn't eaten in a month, and someone found out what your favorite food was, and they went to the greatest restaurant in the world, and they made it for you free, and they put it right in front of you. You would be crazy not to eat it. I can guarantee you every single people in this room, every single person in this room, yes, I'm using a food analogy. You can tell I like food. Okay? I can guarantee you everyone in this room, if they were starving to the point of death, and someone put their favorite food right in front of them, you would gobble that thing up, unashamedly amen. unashamedly and all the people who love food said amen alright but here's the deal guys we are starving we are starving spiritually we are starving we are trapped in sin and our soul is hungry and the greatest meal right here for each and every single one of us. Amen. It's time to gobble it up. Eat it up. Immerse yourself in it. Let's say you're thirsty. You're thirsty. You haven't had water in days. You're walking across Death Valley where the only water there is so poisonous it'll kill you the second you drink it. It's 130 degrees. And you're on flat salt that cooks that degrees up even higher and you're dying of heat, and then you see pure water. 
Let's just say it's like one of those like blow-up pools of pure water. What are you going to do? Go like stick your finger and be like, that water's good. I'm going to keep walking now. No, you're going to jump in and you're going to immerse yourself in it. Guys, our souls are thirsty. They are thirsty. They are so depraved of liquid. Jesus says, hey, if you're thirsty, come unto me and I'll give you rivers of living water so you will never thirst again. Guys, living water, drink it up. Dive in. God's word is free. Dive into it. God's grace is free. Dive into it. The New Testament. Getting preaching on you guys. Woohoo. The New Testament. Okay? Talks a lot about this God chose you. Or did you choose God? But here's the deal the New Testament never resolves it. There's never a definitive, yep, it was God who chose you. But there's never on the other side either. Yep, you chose God. There's, it, it's not resolved. Sometimes we even see in the same verse phrases that contradict one another from a man's perspective. But from God's perfect perspective, it all makes sense. It's all about Jesus. Psalms tells us the whole of this book is about me, says the Lord. It's all about Jesus. The Gospel of John tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the living Word of God. And it's powerful. And it speaks to us today. Man, in the end, it's going to be okay. You don't have to, you don't have to lose sleep over any of this stuff. It's good we get this stuff out of the way when we're talking about Ephesians first, okay? Uh, because Ephesians is going to talk a lot about this. And so I just want us to, like, have this picture painted um, that, that, yes, there is this debate, and, yes, we're never going to know the answer until we get to have it. But here's the deal. It's all about Jesus, okay? And it's all about us being followers of Jesus, okay? Don't question if, if you're chosen or not. Because if you've chosen Jesus, guess what? You're chosen. You're chosen, Choose God. Find out He chose you. That's just how it goes down. And as we continue to look um, at the book of Ephesians over the next months, we're going to be in them for months, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Um, we're going to see that as followers of Christ, we are going to receive richness and blessing. If you guys got to go, I know I'm going long. Um, if you got to go, much love. Much love. Everyone say bye, Stephen. We're going to receive richness, guys. We're going to receive blessing. We're going to receive this wealth. And after receiving this, we must walk. We must reflect Christ. We must reflect Christ in the way that we live our lives. And as we do this, we're going to learn how to be ready in season and out uh, to press on, to learn more about Christ. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the center of it all. Jesus is the center of it all. I'm going to ask Bo. Bo's going to come back up. He's going to uh, start playing guitar because we're going to pray. Um, how many of you guys just, I need prayer right now because I am so confused. Okay, hopefully we're not confusing you. Um, but we're going to pray. Uh, and then Bo's going to lead us in this song, uh, One God. And we're going to talk, we're going to sing, and we're going to lift up the name of God because there is one God uh, and he rules over all.
Okay? And it's the God that from the beginning of time, from the beginning of time, is the God that was proclaimed throughout the nation of Israel and through Israel to the rest of the world. It's the same God who saw fit that while we were still sinners, He sent His only Son to become man and to live a perfect life. Leading up to one outcome, and that outcome was to die on the cross. But death could not hold him down. And that God who loved us so much died for our sins. But on the third day, he rose again. And in his death and resurrection, we have salvation. It's the same God that told each and every single one of us, Go and tell the world about my name. I'm not going to share my throne with any other false gods. There's one God, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's the God who lives in us today and who inhabits the praises of his people. Let's pray, guys. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is perfect, that your word is true. God, and that your word is perfect. It doesn't contradict itself. God, we might get confused and we might be like, oh my goodness, it seems like it contradicts itself. But God, our minds are so finite and we don't understand. God, thank you that your ways are so much higher than our ways. God, thank you that your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And God, thank you that in our lowly state, as small and insignificant as we really are in the scope of the universe, you saw fit and you loved us. And you loved us with an unconditional love that draws all men unto you. And God, we thank you that you've given us choice. God, we thank you that you've given us free will. And God, we just pray that as we have decided, we are following Christ. God, I pray that you would draw our friends. God, by you by your spirit would be drawing our friends, would be drawing our family members, our co-workers, those who we don't really like, our enemies, God, our teammates, our classmates, whatever it would be, God, that your Holy Spirit would be drawing them unto you, and that, God, you by your Holy Spirit would be empowering us to be witnesses, and, God, that the seeds that have been watered would be, God, that they would be reaped, God, and that the harvest would come in, and that people would find you. God, in finding you, God, may they realize a love that was so crazy that since beginnings of time, before time even began, you loved them so much that you said, I want to spend eternity with you. God, thank you for the value that you put on us. Oh God, for the people who don't have value, who don't feel that they have value, God, may they know they have value in you. God, you love us so much. And God, we love you. So God, we thank you and we praise you. And we declare that you are the one God who rules and reigns. Prophets proclaimed to our fathers long ago. Turn from your statues and your idols. Stop worshiping 
stand up and let's declare that tonight that there's one God who rules and reigns.